Hello, good evening, and welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna. As ever, as ever I'm your host, Harry Simiu, and this show is sponsored by LoserPool.com. Hello, hello, hello. Good evening and welcome back to the podcast. As you can probably tell, I'm ill again. Fuck my life. Um, it seems like I'm ill every week at the moment. Um, I don't know why. Um, I'm having a bad hair day as well. It's probably the stress from last night's game, if I'm honest. But uh, do not fear because I am joined by podcasting royalty this evening. I'm joined by the one and only Elliot, known as Yankee Gunner and the man and the brains behind the Arsenal Vision mm. podcast. Welcome to the show. <laughs> I, I think there are three people I can think of specifically who would take issue with me being referred to as the brains behind the Arsenal Vision podcast, <laughs> but they're not here right now, so fuck them. I am the brains behind the Arsenal Vision podcast. Yeah. Damn right. Damn right. That's what I thought. <laughs> How so by are the way, you? Am, I, am I allowed to swear? Curse yeah, yeah, you can say whatever you want. Don't okay. worry. Okay. It's not a family show. Don't worry. No. You can say no. whatever you want. No. And if they do get a bit of swearing and they don't like it, tough. That's just how it is. Um, welcome to the show, mate. First of all, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I mean, I the result notwithstanding, I can honestly say I watched an enjoyable Arsenal game for one of the few times this season. I think the Cups have provided us a much-needed distraction from a pretty depressing league season so far. So um, while it's never nice to crash out of a competition, it's not one we care about particularly. I enjoyed it, and I'm doing just fine. I'm going to be uh, walking around my neighborhood with a unicorn about this high in a couple of hours collecting candy from strangers so i'm good oh, sounds like a great night yeah um so <laughs> arsenal ended up losing somehow scored five goals at anfield uh on wednesday night but unfortunately we were unable to progress to the next round but unfortunately or fortunately depending on the way you look at it the carabao cup is uh not everybody's cup of tea but it does offer an opportunity to get some silverware uh, in by February, which is always a boost, isn't it, going into the remainder of the season. Now, uh, let's touch on a few points. Uh, big hello to everybody who's watching us live at the moment, whether you're watching us back on the replay or, of course, listening to the audio. Don't forget to hit like, subscribe, share, all that usual stuff, and follow uh, Elliot at Yankee Gunner as well. Most and importantly. The, mm -hmm. That's it, exactly. And the Arsenal Vision podcast, which is fantastic, I have to say. Thank you. Um, Right. Mesut Ozil. Um, anyone who listens to this podcast or watches this podcast will know that I've been screaming out for Mesut Ozil to be brought back into the fray for quite some time now. And, you know, I acknowledge that Mesut Ozil hasn't always performed uh, at the level that he should. But we've been crying out for creativity of late. And my word, did Mesut Ozil roll back the years last night, Elliot? He was fantastic, wasn't he? Yeah, he was really good. And I think, look... People are going to understandably bring up the issue of the quality of the competition. I mean, it's Liverpool at Anfield, but obviously it's a heavily rotated side. I'd still say when you have Naby Keita and James Milner and Oxley Chamberlain and Divac Origi and, and guys like you know, Joe Gomez in the team, yeah, I, I still think that's a reasonable side. And to be fair, I don't know that you can point to the quality of the, the opposition because how did uh, Bukayo Saka get his chance in the first team? by performing in the Europa League, right? How did Joe Willick get a chance in the first team? How did these other players break into the team? They did it by performing in the lesser cups. And so if we're going to be a meritocracy, if we're going to be a, a club that is founded on the principles that you earn your way to more playing time, 
Ozil did everything you could ask of him. I think the issue becomes that we have to set aside whether Mesut Ozil will ever again regularly be a superstar playmaker worth 350,000 pounds a week. The odds are probably not, and that's okay. What we've been led to believe is that he is somehow an unusable player in the Premier League uh, at all whatsoever, that he can't even make a squad. Now, I realize that's because of other things behind the scene, training issues, issues with the coach. I get that. But what we saw on this night, things that we haven't done well, linking the midfield to the attack, playing the final ball in the final third, uh, being able to distribute in central areas of the pitch. These are things we haven't done. And if you look at our last two games, Harry, the number one passer in our last two games was a central defender. In this game, in 64 minutes, Mesut Ozil completed the most passes of anyone in the team at 94.4%. He lets us keep the ball and keep the ball in dangerous locations. There was one period where he picked it up on the right flank and he tried to play an overlap, but it wasn't on and he looked for an underlap and that wasn't on and he carried it past a defender and skipped past another defender and eventually there was nothing on and he just gave it back to Lucas Torreira. We haven't had a player to do that. We've been kicking overlapping passes that go out for touch or crosses aimed at no one or just giving the ball away cheaply. And so just that ability to maintain possession, to keep possessions extending, to make the defenses work more and move them around the pitch more, he gives us that. And I think if we are going to live by the principles that we supposedly live by, he has earned more playing time. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. I think that you, you you made a great point in regards to the possession. And I think when he came off, which we're going to come on to talk about in a minute, it really showed, didn't it? And, you know, I've read sort of in the aftermath of the game and, of course, Unai Emery came out afterwards and he said that the uh, decision to substitute Mesut Ozil when he did was pre-planned. And, I, you know, I get that to a, to a degree because I was one of the people that was saying, you know, this is not really fair. You know, you're going to throw Mesut Ozil in at Anfield in probably an understrength side. And then when he doesn't perform, everybody's going to go, well, there you go. Uh, I told you. But to Mesut Ozil's credit, he came into the team and he was brilliant. The substitution wound me up a little bit. And I'll tell you why. Because now I, I totally acknowledge that he hasn't played much football of late and fitness levels may not be where they need to be. But when you look at the Arsenal squad at the moment and you look at everything that's gone on in the past few weeks, you know, the, we, we just about beat Aston Villa at home. We, we went to Bramall Lane. We got beat. Um, Crystal Palace came to town and, and obviously they snatched the point um, coming from two goals down. And then the Granite Xhaka incident. And it just felt to me like this Arsenal squad were on their knees almost in terms of needing a, a boost so desperately. And winning at Anfield, albeit against an understrength side, would have given the team that so crucial, in my opinion, morale boost. So, you know, you may have planned to take him off after 65 minutes, but when the game pans out the way it's panning out, for me, you've got to scrap that. You've got to leave him and Terreira on because for me, that's where the game it's not just where the game was lost because defensively we're an absolute shambles, but it, it played a huge part, didn't it, in, in, in Liverpool regaining the impetus and essentially getting themselves level last minute and, and coming back and, and winning on penalties. And, and for me, it just felt like Emery disrupted something that was working so well. Mm. Yeah, I of uh, XG or expected goals because I am history's greatest monster. But I think that it is uh, a tool that can give you a little bit of insight into the flow of a game, the flow of chances. Up until Mesut Ozil was taken off, 
we had created more expected goals than in any game since 2017 November. Almost two years since we had created that much, that many expected goals in a game. Not to mention the goals we actually did score. Um, from the also came off shortly thereafter. Joe Willick scores his thunder bastard right from a, a <laughs> pretty incredible shot. We created nothing after that. Basically nothing. We had almost no expected goals for the remaining 25 minutes or so of the game. I think you saw very clearly we wound up sitting deeper. We lost the ability to possess the ball in advanced areas. We lost the ability to get our foot on the ball and get control of the game. We lost the ability to find players in space uh, in hurtful spaces to, to put Liverpool under pressure. And you know what it reminded me of a bit, Harry? Think back to the second game uh, Emery was in charge at Stamford Bridge, right? Yep. Going to halftime 2-2, and we're really battering them by the end of the half. They could not live with us attacking. We were overlapping up the wings. We were creating chances. Uh, if you remember, Aubameyang had a couple really shocking misses that had became a bit of a story of the season last season. But we were really pushing them back. And what does he do? He changes it in the second half, and he decides to sit deep and just try to escape Stamford Bridge with the 2-2 draw. And sure enough, uh, we lose it 3-2 on the late Alonzo goal. And we've seen this in Emery. His conservative instincts, his protective instincts, his, his instincts to protect the lead instead of expand it to sit on points instead of really go for them has hurt us in the past. Uh, the two, two against Watford, the two, two against palace. So many games that you can point to that to the three, two at, at Stanford bridge. And I think it hurt us against again at Anfield. And I just worry that, you know, you go back and you look at his time at PSG, the, the champions league tie against Barcelona being an example. This instinct is part of who he is as a coach. It's in his DNA it's just a philosophy that he seems to struggle to get away from, and it cost us again. Absolutely. I, I, I agree with you. I think that, um, you know, and I get it if you you are a team who are equipped to do that. And there are some teams in world football that are equipped to do such a thing. You know, I think back to Jose Mourinho's Chelsea sides and, and how successful they were and the way they could see out a game. But we don't have A, the personnel, and B, the mentality or the tactical discipline to do such a thing. And it drives me absolutely crazy when I see it. Now, people are going to sit there and go, and, you know, there's, there's already some coming through in the comments. Uh, big hello to everybody um, who's watching us live at the moment. Uh, I can see from YouTube there's a lot more of you than are showing up on StreamYard. So a big hello to you guys. Um, but... You know, people will say, oh, Ozil played against the kids. He, he he did this, he did that. But for me, it wasn't necessarily about the opposition or, or the night or anything like that. It was about showing the levels that this guy can reach when he is at his maximum. And that assist for Ainsley Maitland-Niles' goal, for me, it summed up Mesut Ozil. Now, nine out of ten players there, they try and squeeze it in. They hit the outside of the post. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, but Mesut Ozil had the presence of mind as he was approaching that ball, to, to know that Ainsley Maitland-Niles was following in, to know that all he needed to do was put it back into the mix and there was a good chance of Arsenal scoring. And for me, that, that was sensational. Now, the only way I can excuse him being taken off in the 65th minute is if he's going to feature on Saturday. Um, because I think in Wolves, uh, and we'll come on to talk about them in a little bit, we're going to come across a very stubborn opponent, um, very similar to Crystal Palace in the sense that they're going to come there, look to sit back. Um, but in my opinion, anyway, Wolves have a lot more capability on the counter-attack, more than just Wilfred Zaha. So that is a concern. But for me, Mesut Ozil could be key on Saturday. He may not start the game, but he could be key in unlocking them. So I, I guess I could excuse Emery 
if he does bring him in at the weekend? Do you think he will? No, uh, not predicated on anything other than just my sense that he doesn't care for Mesut Ozil uh, in his in his first choice eleven. I, I also wonder about Torreira. I mean, he took Torreira off as well. These are two players that just haven't really clicked for Emery for reasons that we don't have all the information about. I think we have sort of an instinct about it. Uh, there's been comments about uh, Torreira's size as a defensive midfielder, and there's comments about Mesut Ozil's work rate. But I think when when his back is to the wall, Emery defaults to the players he thinks will work hard. You know, the players who who put in the effort. And I think it's interesting because I do think he has some blind spots. I mean, I, I think that there were some players that were legging it a little bit off the ball uh, against Liverpool who won't necessarily come in for the same scrutiny. But yeah, th this is why it's hard, Harry, right? Like, if you told me right now that Ozil and Torreira started on Saturday, then I would immediately eliminate any criticism I have for Emery substituting them against Liverpool. Because Agreed. Agreed. if he made those substitutions to prioritize the Premier League, well, I don't think any of us would have a problem with that. I mean, if you ever listen to our podcast, one thing I always say is I feel that Emery in the past maybe didn't rotate enough, wasn't uh, as careful as he should be about the minutes he puts on his, his players. So if this was designed to have them starting in sharp against Wolves, you'll see no complaints from me. I just, I have a really hard time seeing that being the case. And I, I look... You know, with Mesut Ozil, we always seem to come back to the question of his 350,000 pound a week wage packet. And that is, he's not going to ever be worth that. There aren't many players in world football who could ever be worth that. So if we set that aside and simply say, can he be a player that solves a problem on the pitch for Arsenal? I don't know how you can say no. Joe Willick has been tried at 10, didn't work. Torreira has been tried at 10 didn't work. Ceballos has been tried at 10. I think very clearly not a 10. None of those players are really comfortably 10s. And if we were really pressing, you know what, Harry, if we were an aggressive pressing side, like a Liverpool or a Spurs, you could say you don't need a playmaking 10. You need ball winners, athletic ball winners. Ironically, his little pass to Saka that gets crossed for the Martinelli goal comes from Ozil recovering the ball, ironically. Yeah. But, but then fine. But we have not been an aggressive pressing team. And where have we struggled? very, very specifically progressing the ball into the advanced areas, into the final third, through the center of the pitch, holding the ball, extending possessions and playing those killer passes. And he had all of that last night. Now, does that mean he's going to come in against Wolves and be that good? Maybe not, but I think he was pretty good in his other performances. The Watford game we remember is a disaster. I thought he was good in that game. The, the forest game again, it's just forest, but he created more chances against forest than any player has in an arsenal game since Emery arrived. So it's just a long way of saying that I don't think he will start him. And I think the worry for me is that we will see the same challenges to string long passages of possession together and progress the ball into the attacking third, which there's a reason that our central defenders have been our leading passers. But in this game, Mesut Ozil was our leading passer. It's because he understands how to drop into space and be available in ways that our other players don't do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Some great points there. Um, Elliot, what is your take on uh, the, the whole Granite Shacker incident? And mm. I've been uh, working this week um, uh, over at Snack Media and we've been doing lots and lots of work on it. I've written countless articles covering it from different angles. What is your view on what happened on, on Sunday? And is there a way back for Granite Shacker? This is a tough one because uh, there's been so much coverage of it. We've done three podcasts where it's been discussed already. And, you know, we're so far now from the emotion of the moment that there's a little bit of perspective. 
I want to be clear before I say anything, Harry, that like, in case you can't tell from the shit accent, I'm an American. And in American sport, booing is real common. And booing your own team is real common and booing your own players. I mean, maybe that makes us see you next Tuesdays, like <laughs> fine, guilty, but like it is part of the sporting culture. I think there is some conflation going on. I think that Granite Shack has faced the kind of abuse that players shouldn't face. You know, uh, Instagram comments had to be turned off. There was stuff leveled against his his partner who just had a child and his sister. And I know he's, he's confronted a lot of negative, uh, abusive behavior, and there's no place for that. I don't consider booing abuse. I consider booing part of the theater of sport, part of what happens at a stadium. It's not nice, but, you know, Google team boos their own players in Premier League, and you'll see hundreds of, you know, Pogba getting booed, Fellaini getting booed, Ashley Young getting booed, just to name some uh, some uh, United players. Obviously, we booed Emmanuel Abue off the pitch. I thought that was pretty ugly, and that was done just because he was having a bad game in a game we were winning, yeah, exactly. by the way. Um, I think the issue here is also the timeline. And, and I'm sure you've covered this, so apologies if this is redundant or repetitive. But granted, Shaka, the number goes up, and it's Shaka's. And I think that immediate, organic, very authentic cheer is not necessarily aimed at Shaka. This is my take. I think that is, hey, Emery's taking off his golden boy and actually making an attacking sub. Hooray. Shaka throws the armband at the on the ground at the feet of Aubameyang. And there's a hell of a picture of Aubameyang kind of glaring at him, by the way, that you can find on the internet. I think the fans didn't like that. And then he starts trudging off. We've given up two goals at home to Palace, a two-goal lead. You got to read the room. <laughs> you know, you got a, 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 temp, a tempestuous crowd that is upset with how the game is happening. And he starts trudging off. He throws the armband. And that invites some booing. And once the booing starts, he gives it, large and he he says come on bring it if you're going to do it and he cups his ear and he takes off his shirt and he balls it up and he eggs it on and he goes full WWE wrestling heel you know i mean and if you're if you're if you're not an arsenal fan from a distance this is actually hilarious it's great theater it's hilarious drama but as an arsenal fan it's very upsetting and i think booing isn't nice but it's not abuse i i will never be able to connect with the idea that booing is abuse it's cultural. I understand some people will vehemently disagree. And I'm not saying that you achieve anything by booing your own player. But you could also make the argument, if you can't get it out there, if you can't boo at the ground, if you can't make a booing noise with your mouth at the ground, where do you express your displeasure? Where, do, you know, then do you go to Instagram and call him, call him a cunt or you know, what, troll his sister? None of that is acceptable. I think the one place it is acceptable is at the ground to boo a bit. It, you know, everybody can come back from that. And like Hector Bellerin's been booed. Abue was booed. Like these players can come back from it, but his reaction to it was to say, fuck off to the fans. I, I, you know, I'm not so precious that I can't take it. I just think it's wrong. I think his reaction was wrong, especially as a captain. And if you go beyond that and you say, what I want in a captain is someone who in the most intense moments of stress and challenge reacts with the most calm, and leadership, he clearly didn't do that. Even if you think the booing is wrong, the the penalty he gives away against Brighton last season, right? The the red card fouls he's given away, the the way he will barge a player over in a dangerous position. This is a guy who has trouble controlling his emotions. He just does, and I don't know that that's captain material. So, on one end of the extreme, I could say I'm outraged. I'm not. On the other end of the stream, extreme, you'd say the fans got what was coming to them. I think that's absolutely off. I think the best, most natural middle position is to say, it's not nice to boo your own players, but it's part of football. And the way Shaka reacted is not 
acceptable and there has to be repercussions for it. So I apologize for just going on and on, but I think it's a nuanced debate and I don't want to come across as someone who's just like defending abusing players because I'm certainly not, yeah. but I still think he's in the wrong. See, I, I'm kind of of the other opinion. And I think, like you said, it may be a culture thing. For me, I, I cannot support fans in a football ground booing our own players. I just, I just don't think it's right. I think if you want to boo the team as a collective at the end of a, a poor performance, I'm okay with that. Um, but in terms of singling out one player, I think that's wrong. And, and I think it's wrong because this has been going on with Granit Xhaka for a while. So I was at the Aston Villa game. His number went up and the ironic cheers began. Uh, I was at Bramall Lane against Sheffield United and the, the ironic cheers went uh, on again when his name was shown up on the board. And this was the third time it had happened in three games. Now, I think it's gotten to Granit Xhaka. I think we've got to take into account that you know, he has just become a father. And I can tell you it happened to me nine months ago. It is a very stressful time in your sure life. Sure is, yeah. Um, I feel like he has got um, a target on his back. And I feel Unai Emery is partly to blame for that. Because in my opinion, you know, Granit Xhaka has never been a fan favourite at Arsenal. There's always been that that doubt as to whether he's good enough. Whether, and for me, you know, Unai Emery has, has completely copped out of the whole captaincy thing by saying, I'm going to let my players choose it. But what he's done in essence... Well, you don't love democracy, Harry? Come on. What's wrong no, with you? No, I, I, I'm just kidding. I, I think <laughs> as, a, as a manager, I think you need to... You know, I, I, yeah, I should like democracy. I'm Greek, but I don't. Um, <laughs> not in a football like, club. <laughs> not in a, a country, club. I like, fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like yeah. dictatorships when it comes to football clubs. <laughs> Yeah. But I'd have liked to have seen Unai Emery use his brain a little bit and say, you know what, this guy needs to focus on his performances because his performances, unfortunately, have not been where they need to be. I feel as though by giving him that captaincy, and I know the players supposedly chose him, but by allowing that to happen, Unai Emery has almost put a target on Xhaka's back because the minute it was announced he would be the captain, already... 80% of the fan base were pissed off about it. So they were almost waiting, maybe subconsciously, but to find something to to have a go at Granit Xhaka for. For me, when the, the board goes up with his number, the ironic cheers is wrong, number one. Number two, you know, it's the 60th minute for fuck's sake. It's not the 85th minute and we're chasing a goal. It's the 60th minute. And, and nobody else would have got those that reception if they had walked off the pitch the can way I, can, I, can I can yeah, I just yeah, push yeah. back real quick I want to yeah. ask you two things so first of yeah. all I don't do you think he was booed for a standard walking off the pit like that wasn't just a he's not moving quite as fast as we like Harry that's a I threw the armband on the ground and I am shaking my head and trudging like he was making a bit of a display of his display like the whole thing happens very quickly but yeah. like the period from the ironic look if the ironic cheers happen it's not nice if he sprints off in that moment or jogs off you know hands the armband no Obama yang and and sprints off i think the ironic cheers turn into authentic cheers for saka and the moment is dead i don't think that turns into poisonous booing absent the provo uh, provocation is that the word i'm looking for that he provides in the throwing of the armband the shaking of the head the the slow trudging the giving it large and cupping his ear and I want to make one other point because you said the the ironic about the ironic cheer. Yeah. You know, sometimes we think crowds premeditate stuff. You know, we have the advantage days later of breaking it down on a podcast. You're in a crowd. 
and the board goes up and you're like, hey, Shaq is coming off. Hey, like, maybe that's just your authentic react. Like, I was watching on a shitty stream thousands of miles away, and I have to admit, even from where I was, when I saw that it was Shaq, I was like, hey, like literally audibly, I'm like, hey, he's taking Shaq off. You know, like I, I wasn't trying to abuse the guy. It was my genuine reaction in a moment where I'm aggravated because we pissed away a two goal lead and he's actually making a sub that I like. And so I think we sometimes, with the benefit of hindsight, presume all of this planning and intentionality about behavior when crowds sometimes aren't that intentional. They're just sort of an emotional in the moment reaction, you know? But I think you can reverse that and flip it and say that Xhaka's actions were, were probably emotion as well. And they were absolutely. Yeah. So, and, who, so who has the burden though? Does the crowd have the burden to control their emotions or does the player who's paid to play for the club? Like, cause I will give you this. His reaction is absolutely a natural, normal human emotional reaction. I do not dispute that. What I question is, isn't his job in part to not have like, the crowd, even if we don't like it and think it's ugly, have a right to that reaction. Again, even if we don't like it, the player doesn't. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, he, It's like telling a customer to fuck off in a job. Like, <laughs> Even if the customer kind of deserves it, you get fired for doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, no, you're, you're right. And I, I accept all of that. I just feel like I wasn't so, I mean, some people were, were absolutely outraged by it and I wasn't that bothered. I was more, uh, being in the stadium at the time, I was more disappointed by the people around me than what Xhaka did. Um, for me as well, like everybody talks about the, the sort of throwing of the armband. For me, it was more of a dropping of the armband <laughs> rather than an angry, like, I'm going to throw it to the floor. And, uh, but, and what I will say though is, particularly in my end of the stadium, which is in the North Bank behind the goal, Xhaka was down the other end. I didn't see him do it at the time because there wasn't like a major movement where he slammed it on the floor. You know, mm -hmm. nobody that, well, not nobody, I'm sure people saw it, but I'm also sure that a large proportion of the crowd didn't see that as well. And have just jumped on that after the incident. If you were watching it on TV, I get it. You would have seen it. You don't, you don't think uh, the crowd clocked it when Aubameyang's got to bend down and pick it up off the ground. <laughs> I think maybe, but I think the focus was all on Xhaka at that point. And, you know, he's walking and he's giving it the old cupping of the ear and he's waving and all that. And he went full wrestling heel. I mean, he yeah, did. He did. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> he did. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it brings me on to sort of the, the larger problem, which is fans abusing people on social media. And I think it's a different you know, issue for me yeah, and, and, and one that is not acceptable, of course. Yeah, no, I agree. It's, it's a complete mess. And I think, uh, you know, I, I've been on sort of various channels. I do quite a bit of work with uh, 90minute.com. And, you know, it's, it's almost as though Arsenal fans now have been labeled as this abusive fan base who are never happy with anything. And for most of us, that's not the case. It's just a, a load of keyboard warriors who sadly have given us all a bad name. And I, I mean, can how I, can do we I, overcome it? I, look, all right. I'm sorry. I keep buttoning in here. <laughs> no, go ahead, mate. Sort of on brand. Uh, one of the things that's unfortunate about any discourse is that the most hateful voices will stand out from the crowd. Sometimes the the, the angriest, worst actors are the ones we notice. You know, uh, this is sort of a stretch of an analogy, but like there's not that much murder in the world, right? I mean, murderers account for a very, very, very small percentage of society, but like murder is a horrible thing and we notice it and it's terrifying and we need to stomp it out, right? Like, but most people aren't murderers. Like, most people are not abusing Shaq online. Most people are not intolerant assholes. Most people aren't racist. Most people aren't homophobes. Most people aren't all of these terrible things that we see proliferating online and feel that they're taking over our society. 
The problem is we notice them and I can say, I don't have a, a big social media account, but I have a big enough account where like my mentions are active. And I can tell you, it only takes a couple people calling me a cunt to ruin my day, right? To ha have an impact and to feel like everybody's against you. I see people being like, I'm going to quit Twitter. I got to leave Twitter. And I go through their mentions and it's like 10 people saying a nasty thing and 200 people saying a supportive thing. And like those 10 people seem like the majority because it's so painful and upsetting to be treated that way. I'm, by the way, this is not an excuse, not by a long shot. It's just the point that like, I do think that we all have to recognize that as long as social media exists and long as you can anonymously abuse people, people will do it. And we maybe just have to get smarter, all of us, and especially professional athletes about how we use that resource, how we interact with that tool, um, be a little more responsible. I think the younger generation might understand it a little better. I say younger generation, which you are a part of and I am clearly not, um, just because th they've grown up with it more. But I will say this, go to Mustafi's last tweet where Mustafi says, you know, I'm sorry basically for gifting them a goal and go look at his mentions. It's endless support. Yeah, I've seen so that. I've seen we, that. we are always going to fixate on the really nasty shit. And because of that, we're going to feel that it is a huge problem. But overall, I think, Look at us meeting online and being able to have this great chat and all the people that listen to your podcast and all the people in these in the, the live comments right now who are all saying nice things and communicating like totally normal, grown-up, wonderful people. Like there's lots of it. And I just hope that we don't we don't overemphasize the toxic part because the people that are toxic are gonna ruin it for the rest of us if we let them. This is very preachy, so I should stop. But but does that make sense? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that no, it, it's, that's, it's a yeah, ratio issue. It does. It does. And you're right. We do tend to focus on the bad. It does stand out. Um, I, I agree with you there entirely. Um, Elliot, what what are your thoughts on, on Unai Emery? I have taken a lot of stick over the last few months because I think it was around about December or January of last season where I started questioning him in the sense of I couldn't see what the vision was, didn't really understand, um, you know, where it was he was trying to get to. I couldn't. You know, like when and, and people always compared him to Klopp and they always used to say, oh, you know, Klopp struggled at the beginning at Liverpool. Maybe he didn't get the results he wanted or he didn't have the players he wanted, but you could see there was a clear philosophy that he was trying to embed. I don't see that with Unai Emery. And for me, I think that it's time we just cut our losses and we, we look for somebody else and we try and move on. It may take three or four managers before we find the right one after Arsene Wenger. Where are you on Unai Emery? Would you give him till the end of the season and beyond? Or, or or have you got to that point as well? No, I I I think he probably shouldn't have gotten this season, to be fair. Look, I, I don't see a way back. Even if you thought Emery is a good manager, and, and I don't, but even if you do, which is you know, obviously everyone's entitled to their opinion, I have never seen a situation get this low and get turned around. There are reports that he's lost part of the dressing room. He's clearly lost huge swathes of the fan base. Uh, the results aren't there. The football isn't good. Like, if you're looking for something for him to latch onto as a, a foothold for him to sort of climb back up and get back on top of this thing, I don't see what it is. It's not the results. It's not the football. It's not the relationship with the players. It's not the relationship with the fans. When things sink to this level, I don't know of any example where a, a coach or manager turned it around and got it back going in the right direction. And because there is a very clear window to get back into the Champions League, I mean, Leicester is a favorite for a top four position now. United and Spurs are still somehow behind us, and Chelsea are not so good that they can't be overhauled. 
if we get it turned around, we can still be top four. But a couple more losses, we go to Leicester in a couple weeks. I mean, you lose that, it suddenly starts to look really difficult. So I think the board has to act and make a move. You know, and I, and I said this a few weeks ago, there's a lot of ways a manager can get sacked. Bad results being chief among them. Bad football being another one. Alienating key star players, like going to war with your stars. Yep. Or misusing players in such a way that you start to damage their development, damage their their value to the club. And I hate to say it, but in all four of those categories, he's got a strike against him. So he just strikes me as a guy who wants to play football that a mid-table club would play. And I know that that's become a trope, but I mean in the sense of he never saw a draw he didn't love. You know, He never saw a game he didn't want to grind out. And I don't think top clubs can play grinded out football regularly. I think they have to have the ability to overwhelm weaker opposition. And he, you know, the funny thing is what really lost Arson his job eventually. Arson hadn't been good against the big teams for a long time, but he routinely pounded on the smaller teams. When he stopped doing that, he lost the job. And Emery has never demonstrated an ability to really do that routinely. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, I agree with you. And talking about, uh, idiots uh, on social media here's one here in the live chat right now harry your breath stinks explain your smelly breath i better fucking call the police because this guy must be in my fucking room what's going on <laughs> unbelievable. I, I have to say i was getting the sense that you might have smelly breath, <laughs> if I'm being honest. unbelievable unbelievable um it's uh we're gonna wrap it up soon because i know you're a very busy man as well but not it's, remotely. it's <laughs> <laughs> it's wolves on saturday it's a three o'clock saturday kickoff which is great um for me anyway personally i love a three o'clock the traditional kickoff time our one this season uh, yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i love going down there looking forward um to that but i'm not entirely confident that it's going to be a walk in the park wolves as we said a little bit earlier on are a very dangerous side very good manager in my opinion in nuno spirito santo um what are your thoughts going into this game? How are you feeling about it? And, and I mean, judging by the team that Emery picked the other night, we can almost guess what most of the starting 11 is going to be. I expect the the dynamic duo at centre-back to come back in. Um, mm. But but how are you feeling going into this one? Well, I have the real problem of always, for reasons that I can't explain, thinking we're going to turn everything around to be brilliant the very next game. Like, I can't help... You know, we jokingly sign off on our pod that we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, Wolves nil, or Arsenal 10, whoever it is nil. And it's partly a joke, but it's a joke predicated on the fact that, like, no matter how bad we are, I always kind of think that a, a big turnaround is just around the corner. Because, you know, without hope, what have you got? I just, the problem for me is, do I see Unai Emery adopting a system that takes the reins off of the attack and creates the amount of chances that are needed to really put put the right amount of pressure on Wolves. This is a challenging game. I mean, can we win it? Of course we can. We have the talent to win it. I mean, Aubameyang could have the kind of game where he wins it on his own. Lacazette has that in him. Pepe could, you know, I mean, score two free kicks and, and win the game for us. I, I think that this will probably be a very similar game to everything we've seen from Emery. My guess is he will go with a lineup that looks very familiar to what we've seen. Uh, he seems to want to play this 4-4-2 now in the last two games, so maybe we'll see that. But I think the problem with that is with the strikers split wide, we're not able to put any pressure um, on the opposition progressing the ball up the pitch, so we wind up playing a mid-block, which I think doesn't really work for us. I don't know what to expect from him. At this point, he hasn't found a system that works, so I don't know what system he's going to default to. No, I, I don't have a lot of confidence, but I would love to see him at least 
try to play a little more, um, you know, a, a little more attacking aggressive football, start with Mesut Ozil, uh, in behind the two strikers, play more of a, a four, two, three, one, but I, you know, I can't imagine he's going to do it. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be a stressful afternoon. I've just got that feeling. I've just got that feeling. They um, all have them, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. Um, Elliot, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Um, you are podcasting royalty. Um, if you haven't already, guys, head over to the Arsenal Vision podcast. Um, they beat me to an award once in the uh, FBAs. Oof, I remember sorry. that. <laughs> it's all right. I, I cannot tell deserve. you how, how much we had to pay f- to, for that, by the way. <laughs> there were a lot of envelopes, brown envelopes full of cash slid under doors. <laughs> no, absolutely. Fully deserved. Uh, brilliant show. Some brilliant guests on there. Um, and Elliot brings it all together. Seeing as it, you won't let me call you the brains, I'm going to say you bring it all together. There you go. I'll, that'll um, take. And, and we have our podcast coming out later today. So there you go brilliant stuff so make sure you head over there check it out um give him a follow um yeah and that's it that brings us to the end of another edition and we'll be back uh tomorrow with a few more in-depth thoughts ahead of the wolverhampton wanderers game and then we'll be back uh, on monday with our show uh look ahead uh, look out sorry for uh my videos that i'm doing outside the ground now um so you can keep up to date with everything that i'm doing and uh check out my twitter feed to keep up to date with all the wonderful articles that i'm writing in my brand new job uh so uh Thank you to everyone who's watched us live. We picked it over 300 of you watching, which is fantastic. Um, thank you so much. And to those of you, of course, listening back later on, going to leave you with a quick message from our sponsors, Loserpool, and we'll be back very, very soon. Until then, take care. <laughs>